Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. I'm Amy. And so today is the second time we're going to be trying to do our podcast, not only in audio format, but in video format. So give us a little grace. This is a whole different beast for us. But we thought, hey, you know, sometimes people would like to watch the conversation going on. So uh, we are going to start trying to do this in, for the future. So just bear with us as we get through any, any little It seems like such a crazy decision because it's like I barely know how to load an app properly on my phone. It's like, why not? Let's do a Zoom. Sure. We've got all this time. Let's do videos. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to talk about something that we discussed, um, probably not as much as I would like to have discussed in the Mama Bear Apologetics book, and that is the concept of linguistic theft. And so to start out, I really want to read through uh, two passages. They're in the same chapter, but there's a middle part that's less ap apropos. Is that the word? Um, so it's 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6, and then 12 through 15. So we're going to read that to you, and then we're going to discuss what this has to do with linguistic theft and why it's important to introduce our children to this concept. Because I, I tell you this with all, I don't know, certainty. I don't know what the word is. I tell you this emphatically, at least. Yes. That this is most something. Assuredly. Yes, most assuredly. This is something that is taking our kids captive. Um, so here we go for second Corinthians 11, three through six, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. In every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And then down to 12 through 15. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguise, or Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, meaning Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So I want to point out a couple things in this passage real quick. So first off, how was Eve deceived? It was through cunning, which means basically arguments. Um, and what was led astray? It wasn't necessarily her heart that was led astray. Your thoughts will be led astray. 
So there's a reason why in, uh, I think it's Romans 12, one and two, where it talks about, um, to renew your mind. It's like, because mm-hmm. what comes in through our mind is what goes into our hearts. And so a lot of times people are trying to bypass the mind and go straight for the heart. And they don't realize how their mind is accepting ideas that are raised against the knowledge of Christ. Um, yeah. Someone's- and, and just even how that, it, when you look into Romans one and you look into, um, how the people were led into sexual sin. It didn't start with the heart. It started with the mind. It says yes. their, their minds were, uh, became degraded and then their hearts became depraved mm-hmm. and that caused an actual outpouring and how they, uh, how they conducted themselves with their bodies, the arguments yes. that they use, their behaviors. So there's this huge correlation between the mind, the heart, the body and how you see yourself. And so it's very important to protect the mind, not Mm -hmm. with the heart, but with the mind itself. Exactly. So, uh, we, we are absolutely wanting to affirm teaching your kids scripture, teaching your kids Christian virtues, teaching them what the Bible says. However, what we are seeing happen with linguistic theft is people are taking even the verses, the virtues, the Christian uh, fruits of the spirit and they're redefining them to mean something else. So your kids can say, oh, well, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, basically, the secular agenda has taken all of those minus self-control, I would say. Everything else they're fine with. Uh, self-control, not so much. Um, and they're saying, okay, our agenda here is how you get these fruits of the spirit. So even if our kids are memorizing scripture, when those words get redefined by culture, they are not going to know how to stand against the, the, the enemy schemes. Cause like it says in here that he disguises himself as an angel of light and that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So if we are just teaching them about righteousness, but then there's a certain of the uh, servant of the, sorry, the devil, who is disguising himself in righteousness, we need to teach them how to tell between true righteousness and a false sense of righteousness. And that is what brings us into linguistic theft. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapter four, the mama bear book is titled linguistic theft, how to redefine terms to get your way and avoid reality. I think <laughs> it was meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time that that really is what's going on. So here's a, a quick definition of linguistic theft. Um, linguistic theft occurs when people take a concept, virtue, or idea that most people already agree with, and then they change the definition to promote their own agenda. Without understanding that this change has taken place, many people swallow an agenda to which they might normally object. I think this happens so easily with kids, especially when you have someone who's in an authority position or it's something that they're seeing on TV. I remember as a kid, uh, I had watched a TV show, Halloween Town, and they made this flippant comment of, oh, cool, I'm a Wiccan. And I was like, oh, well, if Disney's talking about Wiccans, then it's got to be okay because why would Disney lead kids astray, you know? And of so- Of course, Disney it, would never do that. <laughs> no, of course not, right? So, uh, so I think with kids, it's really important for them to understand that just because someone may be in a position of authority or maybe more learned doesn't necessarily mean that those people shouldn't be fact-checked. And it's something in the military we called uh, trust but verify. Uh, and so a, a lot of kids, they don't know to do that. They think, oh, well, this person, they love me. They're, they have my best interests at heart. So obviously what we're talking about, the terms that we're using, they have to be the same definition yes. because they love me. And that's not always the case. That's true. 
Uh, so we're going to do, part of this is just me talking. Part of it's going to be kind of a pseudo interview from Amy, because since uh, I wrote the, the chapter on linguistic theft, I could just sit here and talk forever. So Amy, what are some specific questions that you would like to ask about linguistic theft that our listeners might want to understand? Um, some of the things I would kind of like to know from, from your perspective is, has you, have you seen this sort of growing in prominence as, um, the years have gone by? Is this something that used to be an issue or is it something that has been started to be used more frequently as maybe our culture has shifted more toward a postmodern state? Yeah, I think it's something that started out a little bit more on the fringes and it has become so mainstream that we cannot afford to ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the, the main books that Amy and I are going to be talking about in upcoming podcasts is this one called uh, Rules for Radicals, uh, a pragmatic primer for realistic radicals. And let me read mm -hmm. to you the, um, where is it? The, uh, Story the, time. the opening... Um, Let's see. He quotes himself at the beginning. I love uh, when authors do that. <laughs> yeah, he says, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical. Because remember, this is rules for radicals, so who's mm -hmm. our very first radical? From all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where a mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which? Mm -hmm. The first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he, le he at least won his own kingdom. Mm. Who's he talking about? Who do you think? Lucifer. Oh, twist. So he is just now defined that the very first radical who was able to win his own kingdom effectively, mm -hmm. um, and he's paying a nod and homage to him, is Lucifer, is Satan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that kind of tells you where the rest of this book is going to be going. Um, that it's like, I kind of wanted to be like, I wish there was like a book that just explained all these schemes. And it's like, oh, look at there, we do have one. <laughs> We've got a book <laughs> that explains all these schemes. And so, um, if we are to going to be able to teach our kids to stand firm and to recognize who is an agent of righteousness and who is an agent um, pretending to be an agent of righteousness, which we'll go into some of the other quotes from this in the future. Um, this is a concept they need to understand because they need to be able to sift through what is actually biblical and what sounds biblical because those are right. two different things. Yeah. And it's those subtle shifts that just, and I, I hear it often used with, um, with compromise, you know, people mm -hmm. don't typically just compromise on a dime. It's these subtle little choices that they make these little shifts. And yes. I mean, that's, that is exactly how Satan used his cunning to trick Eve. And that's how often we find ourselves in poor situations. We're sitting in this, in this instance, we're like, how did I get here? And then you can kind of trace the line of thought like, oh yeah, it's because of A, B, and C. Yep. So it's those subtle shifts that you you don't quite notice that sound good at the time that can really trip people up. And that's what we need to teach our kids to notice is the subtle mm -hmm. shift. Because again, it's like the scripture says that uh, Satan will come to us as wolves in sheep's clothing. So people yes. keep expecting the wolves to look like wolves. And when it looks like a sheep, when it looks virtuous mm -hmm. and righteous and it sounds good, mm -hmm. they're like, well, of course that's a sheep. Of course that's from God. But yeah. it's like, we have to recognize that a wolf and a sheep are going to look identical. It is by their message that we determine. Mm. Um, so, so I'm curious then with that uh, in regard, what is the difference between 
what we call linguistic theft, the co-opting of the word, and then the evolution of language. Yes. And so a lot of times people want to act like this is the same thing. So let me tell you the the, the best example I just discovered for evolution of language. No, this one's um, funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I discovered uh, like there was some dictionaries that I had when I was a kid that I think my dad had when he was a kid. And so we inherited, not inherited, my dad's still alive, but we they're in our library now. Yeah. And so one day I'd forgotten that we had them. So I was like, I'm going to look at some of the words that we used in the linguistic theft chapter just to see Mm -hmm. like, because this is from 19, either 60 or 65. It's the uh, Webster's New World Dictionary. Hmm. And so the very first word I looked up was bigot. (laughs) Okay. Because everybody likes calling everybody a bigot right now. Oh my goodness. Yes. The very first definition for bigot is a man with a mustache. (laughs) I'm so glad that mustaches are out of fashion right now because then it'd be like, oh, look at all the bigots walking around. Oh, I'm excited for when people start wearing them again. I'm just gonna be like, you bigot. I like, <laughs> already told my husband. It's like, look at it it's okay. And so it comes from the fact that I think it's um, in Spanish, the word mustache is like bigote or something like that. Oh, so bigot, okay. mustache. So man with a mustache is a bigot. Um, that is not what we would call it today. So mm-hmm. this would be an example of evolution of language. There's not mm-hmm. any... There was not any some agenda. There was not. There was no agenda to try to like demonize yeah, people with mustaches. Yeah, um, <laughs> they didn't really care. Um, but there are other words. So, so that would be the evolution of language. Linguistic right. theft is when they purposely take a word that everybody agrees with mm-hmm. and change the definition so that people think they're agreeing with what they think the word means, but mm-hmm. it's been redefined and they actually start championing for a cause or an agenda that they might normally object to. Um, can you think I, of what's, what's a really great example that you can think of that most people would recognize that's going on right now with linguistic theft? Uh, oppression. I'm going to say mm. oppression. Um, and violence. Ooh, violence is... Violence. Actually, let's talk about violence. Um, so this is another book that I'm obsessed with right here. It's called mm. Unjust by Noah Rothman. Mm. The Social Justice and the Unmaking of America. Actually, I think I have this in the notes that I can just... Um, well, I'll read it from here. Um... So on page 30, he says, it is increasingly common to hear social justice activists equate discomforting or objectionable speech with acts of violence. So our word that we're we're doing here is violence Mm -hmm. Um, and not in a metaphorical sense. These activists are just as liable to uh, to view reactionary activities, including public disturbances, property destruction, and even the physical harassment of their opponents as alternative forms of expression. Since they conflate offensive speech and violence, a violent response to speech isn't just reasonable, it's necessary, it's practically Mm -hmm. self-defense. So what we have here is everybody already agrees, right? The violence is bad, right? Right, right. So um, if you now say words are violence, Mm -hmm. well, now that people say violence is bad, words are violence. Now these words are bad. And now what you can do is say, well, they perpetrated violence on me. So I'm going to perpetrate violence on them tit for tat. You know, if someone punches you, it's okay to defend yourself and punch back. But the first punch being thrown is apparently words. The second punch being thrown is an actual punch. We have literal violence that is now uh, being equated with speech. So if you if you're violent towards me, I'll be violent towards you. Yours mm-hmm. might be speech. Mine will be action. Same thing. 
Oh my gosh. You know, and that brings to mind this really great video that I watched uh, several years ago. And I believe it's called um, Education, S-H-U-N at the end Mm -hmm. of it. And it was done by this sort of Australian group. And I think it was meant as satire. It was meant to be funny. And it it depicts this uh, guy walking I want to say it was like 2012-ish. So it could have still been satire back then. (laughs) I know, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it could have. And so it depicts this this guy walking into what he perceives to be as a math class. And there's about six students in there. They're all dressed in black. The teacher is this, this female who looks absolutely terrifying. And in the center of the room is this box. And as he, it's a large box. And as he walks past it, it, it bounces a little bit. And she goes, uh, ignore that. It will end. And so he sits down and they're supposed to be going to this um, math competition, basically. And so to get there is, you know, whoever has the best grades get to go. And so he has this huge stack of papers and it's all these, um, these theories, complex theories, and it looks great. You're like, okay, this guy's a shoe in. Well, it turns out, no, no, that's not what got you there. It's your intersectionality points. And so they're writing all, they're having him do these math questions and he's giving these answers and they're like, no, 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 that's wrong because you're not factoring in the fact that she's a female and this. And he was like, well, this is absurd. This isn't, this isn't math. That the math sort of should be the same either way. <laughs> exactly. So his other students start reacting very violently and getting a very, upset with what he's saying and the the one female she stands up and she goes you your words are violence and if you don't stop that I'm going to have to um, attack you and so it it culminates with them stuffing him in the box at the center of the room and then of course this other student walks in and everybody's sitting down just like they were at the beginning of the video and as she oh. walks past the box it bounces and goes don't worry it will end and it's all talking it's this huge cycle about how people are reacting now there's no such thing as objective truth anymore It's all about perspective. And if you try to argue for anything other than that, then you are perpetrating violence and harm. And that's totally okay with them reacting violently toward you. So it's, it's, we'll have to include the link in there because it's, it's a crazy, very well done. But I remember watching it uh, back then and thinking, oh man, this is so funny. And now I'm like, wow, this is so prophetic. This is kind of what's going on. And I I would like to say that um, this is actually happening within mathematics is intersection. Mm, We thought that that was going to be the one area that like it's math. No, you know, you, you can't yeah. have power dynamics in math, um, but they are starting to make it to where mathematics is, um, has an inter. when we say intersectionality, um, it means there's all these different oppressed groups and, yeah. uh, how your intersectionality is your identity and all these oppressed groups. So like mm. say that you are a white male, that's typically not considered oppressed, but if you're a white gay male, then you have this intersectionality of gayness and white male. So that, that, you know, puts you more points in intersectionality. Um, Before all this stuff happened, I remember a roommate of mine and I, we try to think of the most minority minority that we could possibly think of. I think it ended up being like a black Jewish lesbian, um, a black handicapped Jewish lesbian. I was going to say, they have to be handicapped in some way for them to really hit all of it. And so we were like trying to think of every, all all the minority groups, you know, and stuff like that. And we had no concept of intersectionality, but this is legitimately what's going on is you have all these different um, intersections of, you know, I relate to the world maybe as a female, but then if I'm a lesbian, it's how I relate as a lesbian, as a female or a transgender or whatever. Mm. And so we thought stuff like math was safe and it's not, they're starting to say that math, 
Oh, God, I, I, we need to post a link to this as well. There's an article that's talking about how um, math itself is oppressive. And it's a, yes. basically, it's, it's another form of white supremacy. And I'm like, I'm not even sure how that works. But again, this would be taking words that everybody agrees on. Well, most yeah. people agree on that white supremacy is bad. I'd say your average yeah. person says, no, that's bad. So now, how, what are we doing when now math? is promoting white supremacy. But what we also have going on is traditional Christianity is promoting yeah. white supremacy. So mm-hmm. like if your kids know white supremacy mm-hmm. is bad and someone's saying, well, your traditional Christian ethic is promoting white supremacy, then they're going to say, oh no, I don't want to do that. What must I do in order to not promote white supremacy? Right. Well, we're glad you asked. You need to swallow this agenda. So anyway. Um, so that kind of covers step one then is to identify a core value that people can universally agree on yes. uh, or disagree with and then sort of, you know, use it to their advantage. So yeah. you have to first have that core thing to unify around, right? Yes. Otherwise you wouldn't have, you wouldn't, you, everybody would just be wandering around. It's herding cats. Yeah, so. exactly. So yeah, the, I, we kind of outlined, this one's not in the book. So here you're getting some bonus material. Um, like what are some, like the three steps with linguistic theft? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like Amy just said, step one is you identify a core value that people universally agree or disagree with. Um, mm-hmm. For example, love is good, hate is bad. You support victims and you stand up against oppressors, right? Right. Um, so Saul Alinsky on, let's see what pages this went on. Um, uh, I forgot to put the page number. Oh, oh yeah, it's page XXIII. It's even in the introduction. That's how that's how prime, you know, what primacy this is. Uh, so he has given an example of when they were trying to organize people against the Vietnam War back in the 60s. Um, but they couldn't come right out and just organize around that because that was like, you know, defying the government, all this thing. So um they chose pollution, the concept of pollution. Um, so in this Which is like, so funny because you wouldn't see those two as going together like, oh, we want to oppose the war. So let's go after pollution. Yes. You know, but everybody agrees that pollution is bad. And so you've got to pick something that everybody agrees on. And so this okay. is what Saul Alinsky says. He says, remember, once you organize people around something as commonly agreed upon as pollution, then an organized people is on the move. So the mm-hmm. first purpose is to get an organized people on the move around something right. that everybody agrees with. Um, let's see. From there, it's a short and natural step to political pollution, to Pentagon pollution. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you're wanting to fight against the Vietnam War, you unify everyone around pollution, and then you redefine pollution in terms of political pollution. And now yeah. if you say anything against it, well, you're for pollution, we're against pollution. Or mm-hmm. if you don't want to march with them, it's like, or maybe they'll say everybody needs to wear brown for, to support, you know, going against pollution. But what, if you wear brown, it means you're going against the Vietnam War. So if you don't wear brown, then it sounds like you're yay pollution. And if you do wear brown, then you're implicitly saying we, we um, disagree with the Vietnam War. And I don't want to go into all the politics of the Vietnam War, Right. Yeah. No, it's just showing how, yeah. Yeah. How a metaphor can be used to really manipulate a group into going after whatever it wants. It's almost like that metaphorical carrot on the end of a stick (laughs) and getting them to go along though. I don't know who would go after a carrot, maybe a donkey, but of course I know. Yeah. rabbit. No, actually Petunia, a rabbit. If you really wanted her, (laughs) if you really wanted her to do something, you gave her a tortilla chip. Those were her favorites. Wow. There you go. How we figured that out, but she left her (laughs) Tortilla chips, broccoli stems, and uh, it was so cute when she ate the um, 
the um, strawberries and she was black so you couldn't see it but like the white the white bunnies when they eat strawberries they just look like rabid rat and they follow <laughs> right around them. it's very vicious looking yeah so so the first step in linguistic theft is you have to identify this core value that everybody agrees on so mm-hmm. what we're seeing within our culture is we're seeing this with the concept of love yeah. because it says in scripture god is love and we're commanded to love in so many different ways uh, we're seeing this in terms of uh, oppression. We are called to, to fight against um, oppression and uh, inequality and injustices. That the, that the Lord is very much um, a champion of those who are downtrodden, like the widow and the uh, fatherless, who would be in basically the most uh, vulnerable populations back in the ancient mm-hmm. Near East. Right. Um, let's see. Some, what are some of the other ones? Yeah, violence. Um, where's our list? Um, love, truth. <laughs> oh gosh, um, yes. Tolerance, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Justice, equality. All, all those different words. That these are things that we should already agree on, except for when you change the definition. So first off, mm-hmm. you got to pick something that everyone agrees upon. Um, and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple more passages here in Rules for Radicals. Um, Okay, so on page 37, he says, "Do what you can with what you have, and clothe it with moral garments." Meaning whatever movement you're trying to do, it needs to be clothed in morality. So we can't just be teaching kids morality. We have to teach them what constitutes morality because the, um, all these agendas are going to be pushed using the words that we would consider moral language, uh, which goes on to his next quote on page 44, all effective actions require the passport of morality. Mm-hmm. That this is again the wolf in sheep's clothing. That the um, the sheep's clothing that it's wearing is the clothing of morality. That this is good. This is true. This affirms what Scripture teaches. Yeah. And so whatever we want to shoehorn into that, we're going to say you are disagreeing with your own Bible. Yeah. You go against this agenda because this agenda is love and tolerance and peace and joy and all the things that we're supposed to affirm. Um, well, and that's what I think is interesting is when you're talking about how, you know, you're framing these arguments, you're cloaking them, which is just so very underhanded. You know, it just reminds me of uh, World War II, how they would cover wood piles with what seemed like tanks to come off as more aggressive and having all these things that they that they didn't actually have. But then that second part, too, of flipping it around and claiming that the other side is actually, um, they're they're against those things. Yes. Oh, no, that's, those Christians are against this, or they're against they're the love and equal, they're hateful. They're yes, hurtful. Yes, they're using these terms as sort of an ad hominem, a character attack on the person. Oh, if that's what they are, if we can lump them in this group here, then we can say everybody in that group's bad and you can just discount them, which is, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's very effective, especially with social media. You know, if you don't stand up, if you don't, uh, if you don't speak out, if you don't raise your fist when you're surrounded by a crowd, you are against everything they're standing against. There's no dialogue. There's no discourse in the middle of no, wait, and it's funny because I've seen videos. Um, in fact, it, I believe it was a, a woman who was sitting outside one of these diners and she had been, she and several others were approached and she actually tried to discuss with them and they wouldn't even hear it. You know, there is no middle ground. You have to so. raise your hand in solidarity with us. Yep. No discussion. If you try to discuss, you're a fascist. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so that it's one thing that's so interesting about that. It's not only just frame it, but then you have to use it and twist it against the other person. There's no, yep. there's no discussion of ideas. 
Yep. So that, that brings us to step two and three. So the first step was uh, the identify the core value. Step two was frame the arguments for your agenda in terms of promoting the things that people agree with, like love, mm-hmm. justice, and equality, and claiming that the agenda is the solution for those things that people um, that people disagree with, hate, intolerance, yeah. bigotry, racism, fascism, et cetera. And then I, I, I said the Saul Alinsky quotes of do what you have, do what you can with what you have and clothe it in moral garments mm-hmm. and all effective actions require the passport of morality. I think um, one of the interesting things about both of these quotes is he's not advocating for morality. Yeah. He's advocating for smuggling in your, your agenda with morality. It's like, he won't even define to get it power. Morality. Yeah. Yeah. To get power. Mm-hmm. And then uh, step three, claim that anyone who is against your agenda is for the things that people universally agree upon are bad. So mm. um, if you disagree with the agenda, then you're for oppression, you're for yes. victim shaming, you're for yes. um, hate, you're for, you know, it's like you're, you're for all these things. And so this is how our kids are being really manipulated right now because yeah like I think about back when you know I was in high school that living the Christian life you you know the words that you got were you know a prude a goody goody mm-hmm. um you know or you know sometimes they'd say you're just outdated or just you were just uncool you were a nerd yeah that is very different than what our kids are being called now they're be called they're it's like you know we can deal with nerd and prude and all those different things what our mm-hmm. kids are being called now is evil Yes. And oppressive and hateful and bigoted. So it's one thing to stand against being called uncool. It's another thing to be able to stand against being called evil. Yes. Well, and nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be equated to that. And I, even within our own family, um, I've got family members who are teens who, uh, when we were just discussing certain issues, they were genuinely concerned. Oh, wait, are they racist because they are differentiating between these different ideas? Shouldn't mm-hmm. they just be for them? She, you know, they didn't know. And gosh, she was what, 13, 14 years old. Um, they just didn't understand that. No, no, no. You just because you're against certain false ideas doesn't mean that you are racist, evil, mm-hmm. oppressive, that sort of thing. But they aren't being marketed that even within their teen magazines and that sort of. No, you have to totally go on with this. In fact, gosh, what was it? It was CNN. They had an article that it even said Gen Z is looking for a revolution. Mm. And how are they getting this revolution? By saying, this is the only way, here's the new original sin, and here's the only way to get there. Yep. It's fascinating. Terrible, but fascinating. Yeah, terrible, but fascinating. Uh, A person who disagrees with an ideology or agenda is therefore characterized as a proponent of injustice, inequality, hate, and intolerance, and an enemy, basically, of all things that are good. So, and so, this is like where it comes for full circle. And the, and the final step is disagreement is no longer disagreement. It is defines you as evil according to all the words that they just basically linguistically stole from you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Sorry, I'm having to forgive me. I have to keep muting this because we have a thunderstorm that just randomly uh, came oh. over us. But um, but no, you're you're right. Is is you're either for us or against us. You mm-hmm. have to agree full bore, or you are you're out of it. And yeah, it's it's very dangerous because then your then kids, especially in social settings, when they're presented with them all, this, a lot of them will you know bow down to it because again, they don't want to be outside of the group. They don't want to be considered evil, ostracized. Yeah. That's Sort of thing. And so it's 
yeah, it's, it's something that's very oppressive to kids right now. Yeah. And I w- I'd like to say, this is what I underlined in rules for radicals on page 10. I, um, I consider this his, basically his thesis statement that says, my aim here is to suggest how to organize for power how to get it and how to use it. So again, he's not looking for uh, what is right. He's not looking for what is moral. He is looking for how you get power and using morality as if it's speaking for you is how you organize to get power. Um, So I hope that kind of gives a good overview of what linguistic theft is. Just as a uh, a reminder, we read 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6 and 12 through 15. Linguistic theft is different from the evolution of language in the sense that it's uh, it's not just you know something that evolved over time. It's actually changing a definition to force you to agree with um, an agenda you might not normally agree with. And the steps for getting there is you identify a core value that people already agree upon, and then you make your agenda basically the champion of that core idea, no no matter if it is or not. Um, step two is you frame all your arguments in promoting. Uh, and, and promoting that morality that you're claiming to have. Uh, step three, you claim anyone who's against your agenda is actually against those moral things. They are by definition immoral. Uh, and then finally, you, you end up with uh, disagreement is no longer disagreement. It's, um, it basically defines a person as evil or all the bad things, you know, the bigot, the intolerant, the in, you know, pro-injustice, all those things. And so this is how the enemy is capturing our kids. Um, as, as we go back again to the, the passage um, that the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, that this is the cunning that is happening that is taking our kids by storm. So in the, in the following podcast, we're going to start going over what are some of the specific words that have been linguistically thefted? How do you know when linguistic theft has taken place? And basically, what can we do to prepare our kids against this linguistic theft so that they know when someone's trying to shove an agenda down their throat that is raised against the knowledge of God. Absolutely. And even we're even going to touch a little bit on why words are important because right now we're, we're seeing this assault on even linguistics to the event, to the extent that words are considered a social construct, meaning they have no basis or grounding in reality. And that poses a huge problem to kids, especially just even dialoguing with them. So we're going to touch a little bit on that too. Sounds like the rainstorm just kind of went it's down. It's coming down so big. So I don't think I can pray today because I don't know that you're going to be able to hear it. So I might okay. let you pray. I'll go ahead and pray there. over us okay, today. Good. And actually, I'm going to do something that I wasn't planning on doing, but if anyone's been following Mama Bear, uh, this is going to be a rather long prayer today. <laughs> um, and that is, we, we've been doing something called Tenet 12. And that is, uh, there, there's 10 things that... Uh, there's been a lot of kind of talk I've seen just on the internet of just needing to be in prayer. And so I just kind of came up with, here's 10 things that I think we should pray during the month of September every day. And it's one of those things like where I couldn't, I don't have time to start a big old movement, but I'm like, you know what? I can do this every day in September. So today for our prayer, we're actually going to go through those 10 things so that, um, uh, you can hear a longer version of, of what we had on the blog. Um, again, yeah, you can go to the blog. Uh, you can go to like our Instagram. We've got kind of a little cheat sheet, small image for them. Um, so today I'm just going to pray over all of those. Um, so get ready for a long prayer. <laughs> so uh, actually, first I'm going to summarize the 10 things we're praying for. It's conviction over our own sin discernment of spirits, unity around essentials, division from godless ideologies, for light to overcome fear, corruption to be exposed, for the church to stand firm no matter what, 
uh, to strengthen marriages and family, for lies to fall and people drawn to God, and then for your specific community. So it might be a long prayer today, but we're going to go through all 10 of them. <laughs> um, so for Father God, we start out just thanking that you call us to prayer, Lord, thanking you that, uh, that you listen to us in prayer. <sighs> Lord, our, our, our country is falling apart at the seams, Lord. And we just want to bring these requests to you, Father God. Number one, I pray for conviction over our own sin, Lord, that before we start going out and pointing out the sins of others, Lord, that you would begin the house cleaning, the housekeeping, house cleaning within ourselves, Lord. If there is something in us that is raised against the knowledge of God that is um, selfish, Lord, that is um, wanting to get our way, Lord, that is against any of the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, we pray that you convict us of those parts of ourselves that need to be um, modeled after you, Father God. Um, we pray that you would do this without public humiliation or embarrassment, Lord, but that your voice would still come and it would convict us first before we go out and try to point out anything that's going on in the world, Lord. It begins with us and our hearts, Lord. And during this time, Lord, I know that there is a lot of just spiritual warfare that is going on. And, uh, Lord, I, I know that your spirit is moving. People are hearing from you that they are, they are receiving dreams and visions and just convictions about things, Lord. And whenever your spirit is moving, that is when the enemy moves in to try to counterfeit what is going on. So, Lord, I pray that as we have a, a, a legitimate move of your spirit, Lord, that you would protect us from the, uh, from the enemy coming in and trying to um, mimic whatever it is. He's trying to present his voice as a voice from God, Lord. And I pray that you would give us discernment of spirits, that we would know when things are coming from you and that you would protect us from the, um, the lying spirits that are coming, trying to speak on your behalf. Lord God, we pray around about unity around the essentials of the faith, Lord, that there's so many different denominations, there's so many different beliefs, but so many of those are secondary issues, Lord. We pray that we would be just, um, return to the essentials of the faith and have unity in those, Lord, that we can say, even if we agree on disputable matters, we are in unity around the essentials of the faith. And at the same time, Lord, we cannot have unity just for unity's sake. The purpose of unity is to divide from that which um, disrupts the unity, Lord, which means we have to divide from ideas that are raised against the knowledge of you. We have to divide against godless ideologies. We have to divide ourselves from anything that is claiming that something other than you is the solution uh, and something other than original sin is the main problem, Lord. Um, so I pray, Lord, that while we unify around the essentials, we would divide from those who are seeking to divide us, Lord, from, from being united in the essentials, Lord. We do not have unity at all costs. We have unity around something and we have it around truth. And if something is not in truth, Lord, then I pray that we would divide from it and that we would not apologize for dividing from it. Father God, I just have seen this cloud of fear hovering just over so many of the cities. Just Lord, um, people are reacting in fear. And when people react in fear, they are not reacting logically, Lord. And so we pray for just this, this cloud of fear that is permeating the cities that are causing these riots, that are causing these marches, Lord, that are, are just causing people to just see each other as enemies, Lord. And I pray that your love would be the light that dissipates that cloud of fear, Father God, that we would remember that perfect love casts out all fear, Lord, and that we would be relying on you and trusting in you, Lord, and not be reacting in fear. 
Lord God, we pray for corruption to be exposed. Lord, we've asked for the corruption in our own hearts to be exposed first. Lord, and then we ask for the corruption within our churches, within our own ranks, Lord. We ask for that corruption to be exposed. It doesn't necessarily have to be be in a big and humiliating way, but in a way, Lord, that gets the wolves out of the pen, Lord, a way that gets the, uh, the lies out from being mingled with the truth, Lord, that in our own churches, if there is corruption going in there, if there has been cover up for sexual abuse, if there has been cover up of an abuse of power, Lord, we pray that you would reveal the corruption first with us first in our church or then moving out towards government lord uh, our, our local governments our government at large wherever corruption is happening lord we ask for you to expose it that it would no longer be able to operate in the dark lord that it would be brought to light Father God, we have a lot of persecution that's going to be coming against the church. We've already seen it going on, especially with these concepts within linguistic theft, Lord, that we are being labeled as haters, as bigots, as intolerant, as um, victimizers, Lord, as harmful. Our ideas are harmful, Lord. Your scripture is harmful, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the church would be able to stand firm against these accusations that as far as it depends on us, that we live at peace with all men. But as far as it depends on us, Lord, we do not live with unity with all men. We unify around truth. We unify around you. But there's times, Lord, when peace is not able to be had, Lord, that we have to choose a side, that we are never called to unify with the world. We are not called to unify with sin. We are called to unify around Christ. And if that something is trying to get us to unify around something else, Lord, um, that I pray that we would stand firm no matter what kinds of names we are called. And even if people start saying that we're evil, Lord, that we would say the, that they hated you first, Lord, and they will hate us. There is no capitulating anymore. There is no compromising anymore. We are entering a time where we are going to have to pick a side. And I, Lord, uh, Lord I pray that we would choose your side no matter what, Lord, that we would stand firm. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen marriages and family, no matter whose marriages and family, Lord, within the church, outside of the church, in the atheist community, in the Muslim community, everywhere, Lord, that marriage was your first institution that is meant to mimic what our relationship is like with you. Whenever a marriage dissolves, Lord, whenever a family is dissolving, God, that is necessary, marring your name and marring your image, Lord. And we pray for just strengthening of families. We pray for fathers, Lord, to be bringing the families together, to be uh, being men. We pray for women of conviction. We pray for our mama bears to be discipling their children in the truth and helping them to see the schemes of the enemy. I pray that you would be knitting us together, Lord, even within maybe some of the persecution, that that would be something that draws us to one another. Lord, I pray for the lies that are coming out um, that are going to be trying to separate us from you, Lord. I pray that you would be drawing people to yourself. I pray that you would be separating the sheep from the goats, Lord, and that people would be choosing a side, God. I pray that the lies would be falling, that they would stop being blinded to the agendas that are coming out, Lord. And when they are uh, alerted to these agendas and when they are alerted to these lies, Lord, that they would draw close to you, that your people would become so enamored and infatuated with you, Lord. Lord, that they cling to you as they're all, Lord, Father, God. And so we pray, even if that's going to mean some division is being caused from the people who are not truly walking with you and the ones that are, Lord, then we just pray that you would draw people to yourself. We pray that you would be converting people who think that they're already converted um, and drawing them to yourself. We pray for just a harvest of true followers, Lord. 
And finally, we pray for our specific community. Normally, I would do that for Pella and Amy would do that for Caddo Mills, Lord. But this time, we're going to pray specifically for our mama bear community. I pray that we would be learning how to interact with one another with grace and truth, Lord, that whatever accusations people want to throw at us saying that we're, you know, we're hateful and we're mean, we're bigots, whatever, Lord, that our speech would be so seasoned with grace that they will look like fools if they try to accuse us of these things, Lord. I pray for um, the ability to chew and spit, Lord, through, through all the different things. I pray for the ability for our mama bears to be roaring through these ideas, recognizing the message, offering discernment, arguing for a healthier approach, and reinforcing these ideas with their kids through prayer and discipleship, Lord. Um, we pray for our mama bear community that they would rise up to the task that is before us, Father God, and that you would protect us um, from just all the attacks that are going to be coming against us. But even amidst those attacks, Lord, that we would bond together as a community uh, and that we would seek truth and we would seek Christ wherever he may be found. Father God, we thank you for these things. Um, I thank you for just... Um, the, the, the women and men all over the country that are praying these 10 prayers every day or, you know, doing it in whatever, whatever, um, you know, maybe once a day that we would be united in heart and in mind, Lord. Um, and through that, the unity of Christ is going to be able to prevail against the lies of the enemy. In your name, I pray. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.